0: Welcome to the Macomb Israel Teacher's Lounge Podcast, where we connect students and listeners to what's happening in Israel and give you insight behind the headlines. Uh, I'm your host, Michael Unterberg, here with co-host, Lial, and I'll let you say your last name.
1: Zahavi Asa.
0: Thank you. How's it going, Lial?
1: (laughs) I'm good. How are you, Michael?
0: I'm all right. Um, We're back to old school equipment. We're doing things. uh, We're enjoying the... I know there's Delta all around, but we're 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 doing it in personally, you prefer it, and you you don't like Zoom.
1: Well, I survive with Zoom, but I figured we should give it a shot since okay. we weren't in such a far proximity.
0: That's right. So you're the co-host, so you get uh, you got that vote, and we're doing it. And our topic this week is sort of the aftermath of the Olympics. Now, I'm not I'm not a super sports guy, so I'm not. With our interest in talking about Israel's place in the Olympics, really are sort of the broader cultural fallout of this year's Olympics which was Israel's biggest representation at the Olympics mm-hmm. and you were pointing out to me that we doubled our gold medal total just this year like we had two overall in the history of Israel
1: that's right yeah
0: and this year we doubled it and you were also very impressed in particular with the cosmopolitan nature of just different types of people yeah in this year's Olympics and what you had can you just tell you know if you could just tell me those examples that you found so fascinating
1: for sure yeah so when we think i guess about israel being in the olympics our minds go automatically to oh okay great so young jewish israelis trained um and you know worked a significant amount of their life to get to where they get to and how wonderful and impressive is it that we have these israeli jews who are going um to represent us in the olympics and the truth is is that I guess things are a little bit more complicated than mm-hmm. that, and we see that by some of the people who competed this year. Um, so one person that uh, I think everyone knows by now—it's uh, she's a big name, and she's the one who uh, won the gold medal for gymnastics. Who's Ash—her name is Linoy Ashom and she, um, she's an Israeli Jew. Um, she's, I guess, what we would think that most of the competitors out there is the Israeli kind competitors of a classic out classic sabra. Exactly, completely classic. Sabra. So, not only that, but the I, I was reading that the um, the actual um, type of gymnastics that she does is very sort of Ashkenazi. I mm-hmm. mean, that's probably not the right way to say it, but it's basically not. It's not anything that a Sparty girl or mm-hmm. a girl from like a Mizrahi background would go and and do and pursue. So that was also something like interesting that mm. that um, people were kind of talking about around her uh, impressive. Um, you know, com- competitiveness and 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 her and her the fact that she won, which is amazing. Um, so there's you and she's sort of this classic. Um, I don't know the typical Israeli that we would assume mm-hmm. to be in the Olympics, but then um, if we look a, bit, a little bit deeper and actually understand who was there in the Olympics, we see that there's another person named uh, Artum Golgopiat, and he is um, a Russian Israeli. Mm-hmm. Um, his mother's not Jewish, his father is, and. Um, he also competed for Israel. Um, now, there's a lot of people who are in Altum's place in Israel, Israeli society, like Russians who um, immigrated to Israel, um, and the law uh, of return
0: allows them. It
1: allows them, right? Because
0: mm-hmm. his father, as a Jew, that's it. I mean, even if even if one of his his father's grandparents was Jewish, exactly. that whole family gets to come in based on the law of return. Although, and we'll get back to this in a little yes. bit, the Rappah won't consider him Jewish, Jewish enough to get married. Yeah, we'll right. get to that. Well,
1: yeah, exactly, we'll get to yeah. it. But again, somebody who actually was more or less raised in Israeli society, but there's this issue of whether he's um, Jewish in terms of Israel and the mm-hmm. state of Israel. Um, so again, like you said, we'll get back to it. But, um, so he's, he's another one of our winners, obviously also in gymnastics. Um, and then there's a couple of stories that I actually read about that were a little bit more sort of off the radar, mm-hmm. but also really significant to mention. I think, um, one of those was a man named, um, Kazumasa Kibe. Mm -hmm. Um, I hope I'm saying that right.
0: Oh, let's assume, (laughs) assume. you could do a better thing. And he,
1: um, so he is, he's from Japan, he's Mm -hmm. Japanese, and he married, um, for what I understand, an Israeli woman, and Mm -hmm. he lives here, and they have a son, Um, and he's been living here for a significant amount of time, and he is a baseball coach, Um, and he's been Mm -hmm. in the field for, I think, like 30 years or something like this, and he um, decided to coach the Israeli baseball team, which... Let's put a second, our discussion for a minute. Isn't it funny that Israel has a baseball team and we competed yeah, in the Olympics right. in baseball? How crazy is that? who's playing on that? Right. right. A lot of, I think a lot of American it Jews from when I was there.
0: Uh, yeah, a lot of immigrants. Which is
1: actually very neat. Um, yeah. But just, I would have never thought. I would have thought that we would get in for... Something completely like baseball would be the last thing I think that we would get in for into the Olympics for. I mean,
0: we're known for like judo. Yeah. And
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. You're like, Oh, I get that. <laughs> exactly. Right. So baseball is a little bit funny, but I'm glad. I'm glad. Cause I know mm-hmm. that actually personally, there are a lot of Aleem that I know who really want to play baseball on a professional yep. level and they just couldn't find something like that. So I'm glad that that exists. But anyway, so he's their coach and he does, from what I understand, he does, he does so voluntarily. So he coaches them voluntarily. And apparently he also doesn't speak English or Hebrew very well. Oh, so wow. he communicates to them. Um, I guess sort of like non-verbally um, Or very minimal language But like with his um, tone of Like with his you know, tone of voice And um, I guess like hand signals He like is able to coach this Immigrants team.
0: find ways, you know Exactly yeah, as somebody who didn't grow up here, like it, you. And I my, I, I speak a decent immigrant Hebrew, but you still you have to be creative. So he's just set back further as an immigrant, and he has to totally. find ways to communicate. Yeah,
1: right. And it's just interesting to think about this guy who comes from Japan and I guess has immersed his life in Israeli society in some extent. He's a stay-at-home dad. He has mm-hmm. a wife who's. I guess Jewish and Israeli, um, and here he is finds himself like leading this team to right. to in, into the Olympics, which is just amazing. Um, so he's kind of a, I think a noteworthy character in in the, this this um, chapter of you know Israelis in the Olympics. And there's one more person that I think also is really she's she's worthwhile mentioning. Um, she she actually was in the news. Um, her her story was covered. Her name's Lona Chemtai. Sel, Selpeter, I, again. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, so she she has a, a cre- quite an incredible story. Also, she is f- from Kenya, and she initially was working in Israel, brought on as a nanny um, for um, f- uh, for somebody for the um, the a diplomat at, in oh. the in the Kenya embassy, and. Um, She just kind of took up running. I don't think she ever, like, thought that Hmm. she was a runner necessarily back in Kenya, but she took up running. She had a lot of time, um, and someone basically found her in the middle of, I think it was Tel Aviv. She was, like, running on the Alcon or whatever it was, um, and they found her, and they said, you want to join our running group. So long story short, she has, like, kind of of an amazing story that I think, actually, whoever decides to make a movie or documentary about Hmm. her will probably make some money, Um, but she... Uh, she ended up um, competing professionally, and not only that, she ended up um, getting injured. And then she was sent to a physiotherapist, and it happens to be that the roommate of the physiotherapist was a guy who was also a runner. So they started running together and training together. And long story short, it was a great love story, and they and they fell in love, and they um, and they got married. Um, and so he's Israeli, an Israeli Jew, and she's a Kenyan, and they have a son, uh, maybe a daughter. They have a kid. A kid. Yeah, and. Um, and so, and there was this whole um, issue of her getting citizenship, and mm-hmm. so that also took some time. And so, basically, one of the—I think the most interesting thing about the story is that they, the peop, the um, the the embassy was looking for people to compete, mm-hmm. and they said, you know, if you compete, you have a good chance of maybe qualifying for the Olympics, mm-hmm. and if you do, then you can get citizenship. Like it'll mm-hmm. make your chances it better because your exactly. application,
0: because you're providing a service, a service so for it, the
1: state, which is. I mean that we that's can go on a crazy, whole other conversation right. about that one, but um, but yeah, and so she did, and she got her citizenship, and she competed, and so unfortunately, she's gone through a lot of health issues. And if anyone mm-hmm. read the article that I'm talking about, um, they would see that she was she came in really really close, but because she had like massive pain, mm-hmm. um, she ended up just collapsing and not making it to the finish line. Uh, so whatever, she'll, I guess she'll try again next time. But but that's just an incredible story. We have these sort of um, competitors that are really amazing athletes, and a significant amount of them really aren't Jewish, but they're actually in some way very Israeli.
0: Right. It it is part of the story of Israel as an immigrant country that one of, when you have a country of immigrants, one of the advantages of your talent pool is coming from all over the world through all sorts of strange, complicated, and sometimes problematic ways, Mm -hmm. but that is what Israel is. Israel is 75 percent Jews. 20% 20% Arabs, and 5% other. Great. And so here you have some Israelis who, in one sense, are other in Israeli society because they're minorities. On the other hand, Israel sends them out as representatives, as athletes, which in the athletic world, they have advantages mm-hmm. because of where they come from and their background. That native-born Israelis may not have. So, like China has an advantage that they're over a billion people and they pick you from when you're a little kid and train you. We don't have that advantage. Where, but we have this this when it comes to the Olympics advantage, and it's mm-hmm. and it's it's complicated. And obviously, there are tensions for these minorities. But when it comes to something like this on the international stage, this is something that we, we that sh- that where we shine. Right. And and, and and even even if you're, whatever your position is on the complications of intermarriage and non-Jews and all of that, there is something to be proud of when Israel's, Israelis can shine in the international sphere. And these are Israelis. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's the cosmopolitan nature of an immigrant state right. is complicated. And part of becoming, look, it, there is no such thing. There is no ethno-national state that doesn't have minorities. Mm-hmm. Although most states are ethno-national, there's always minorities, and, that, and so we as Jews have to understand what that means. And here's an example of that being a positive. For
1: sure, yeah, for sure. I guess, I guess the thing I'm wondering about is is to be a minority amongst a. a a nation or you know a, a country that you do feel a part of because i do believe that the people i just mentioned now do feel i mean they wouldn't be living here if they didn't right, right? they do feel a part of what's happening here they have children here some of yeah.
0: them um i mean quentin tarantino in a very different environment <laughs> yeah. he keeps about how exactly. much he loves being israeli yeah i love that um
1: yeah yeah that's that's for sure right it's and a similar feel,
0: strange yeah
1: yeah like this connection there's mm-hmm. definitely connection and i think also just in general by the way that the israeli society is a very welcoming society mm-hmm. right and when people land we we Want, we as Israelis want those people to feel at home. We want people to feel welcome, and I think Israelis do a very actually a very good job of welcoming in. You know, whether that's minorities. Well, this or runner
0: is a great example of you know, and I I don't know how to pronounce her name. What's her first name? Lona. Lona. Mm-hmm. So here, you know, just naturally, she was welcomed in by people who mm-hmm. who were happy to show that they wanted her to feel included.
1: Right, and I think. And I think that, that that's something that they feel. And then um, there's another level and another layer, which again, like we said, we're going to get into it. So another layer, which is sort of the more uh, on the institutional level, I guess you can say, which
0: well, like... let's get into it. Yeah.
1: There's, there's, they're, they're, they're being told straight up, like without any kind of... I don't know, not even trying to hide behind the fact that, like, hey, you're not welcome here. Like, it's almost like a society embraces yeah. them, and we root for them, and they carry the Israeli flag yeah. in the Olympics, and then on an institutional level, they get sort of dumped.
0: Well, that was the irony of... Uh, of Artem. Yeah, of mm-hmm. Artum being a a gold medal winning athlete who, because he's... His father is a Jewish immigrant from the former Soviet Union. Yeah. He, the rabbinate, doesn't recognize him as Jewish. So the Israeli government recognizes his family under the law of return. Here's a guy who grew up Israeli in Israeli schools. His national holidays are Hanukkah and Passover. Sure. And the rabbinate, because Israel doesn't have civil marriage, only religious authorities, whether they're Muslim or Christian or Jewish, perform marriages. He cannot get married in the state of Israel mm-hmm. to a Jew.
1: And that was the big controversy, right? So when um, the story came out that he won and also the state of Israel didn't want to recognize or let him get married in the state, and they you know, heard that he was going to have to leave the state to go get married, which is something that a lot and of he's people kind of chill to about
0: do. It. He didn't want to make it into like... <laughs> yeah, he is. But it was such a big, like in social media and in just regular old-fashioned media, yeah. that was the conversation. Look at the irony. He's getting a gold medal for us, yeah. and we're not letting him get married in Israel. For sure. And there is something to that. Look, we've done whole episodes. I don't want to spend too long on it. And Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm sure it'll come up again of this irony of, you know, becoming a nation state again means that this diaspora system of conversion, Mm -hmm. you can't just abandon it. But on the other hand, it doesn't exactly match. Mm -hmm. Here's a guy who for all intents and purposes, you know, they're growing up. They're growing up essentially as Jews. And then the rabbinate says, but you're not. Mm -hmm. And we don't know how to solve that problem.
1: Yeah. For sure,
0: civil marriage, which people are, which was the main response. I said like, there should be civil marriage so he can marry anybody he wants. Mm-hmm. That's and be for it or against it, but they're also that's also sort of avoiding the problem. Yeah, he's so Jewish, like he's yeah. he's he's he. But technically, like, is there a way to change that definition that includes him? Because functionally, he is. There's all sorts of bigger conversations. It's not. I guess what I'm saying is the conversation can't just be, so there should be civil marriage. Right. It should be, this is a broader issue in our society as Israelis. Right. Of these people who are, I don't know if you want to say quasi-Jews. Like, they're, they're, they're not technically Jews, but they are Jews. Mm-hmm. We have to find a way to...
1: Right. Like, right. I would say that there actually, there should be civil marriage and there should be a con- like a, a larger conversation about yeah. what that means and what our society looks like. Because, I mean, Artum, he is, I mean, we, like you said, his father actually is Jewish, whereas, like, we have um, Kazumasa and Lona, who are not Jewish whatsoever, right. and then, but that's the thing, they married Jewish okay. Israeli people, right. and so, but no, I know, oh, I think But they're really Israeli,
0: but they're, they're not really, Jewish, really right.
1: Yeah, exactly, They're well, I mean, if they have passports, I guess, for citizenship, then yeah, yeah they're Israeli, but my point is, I think that the larger conversation includes the conversation about what happens when Israeli secular Jews, assumingly secular, um, Fall in love with the right. er, Eritrean, right. you know, um, immigrant who lives in the south of Tel Aviv, or right. the Kenyan woman who works at the embassy, right? And these ha- right. this happens a lot. Yeah.
0: Um, so well, that's also part of the a story. lot in terms of anecdotal stories. Is a lot of interesting stories, but right. they're interesting stories because statistically it doesn't that's happen true. a lot. Right. Out right. of the you know over six million Israeli Jews, the vast vast majority marry other Jews. Right. They marry. Jews. Yeah. So right. it, so the question is, you know, how. How do we institutionally, and and there's always going to be a minority who won't marry fellow Jews. So then, how should the institutions respond to that obvious Mm -hmm. reality in a state environment?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: It's complicated, you know, in in the diaspora. So, okay, so there's no need for the institutions to, they'll get married in a civil marriage or whatever, and then, you know, they'll come for the Pesach Seder or they won't come to the Pesach Seder. But here you have this national governmental problem of how to. Bridge that right, and you know, I I assume these things will evolve with time Mm -hmm. and things will become more normal. Like, 70 plus years is not a long time for for your renaissance to establish normalcy. (laughs) Like, 2,000 years of diaspora makes things very complicated to reassert normalcy for people like Artum. Who you know, I I, again, I I agree with you that that Lona and and is a a different category of complication, but I think that Artum is, is a is a really pressing mm, issue of mm-hmm. people advocating to make conversion more lenient or i, I don't know i mean th- yeah. there, there has to be it, it really is coming I mean, imagine imagine i don't know let's take our tomb i don't know our tomb but let's say his parents his grandparents survived the holocaust right and his parents you know because his mother married a jew they were you know the soviet union were anti-semitic and then this union collapsed so they made aliyah and then they come here and this kid artum grows up here and goes to gan and sings shabbat shalom and, and and lights Hanukkah candles and you know pays off there's a seder and and then you know finishes high school and serves in the army and mm-hmm. then and then goes to get married and the Hood says so why do you want to be jewish mm-hmm. and he's yeah, like, he's what, like are you, what are you talking about i'm so jewish like, yeah so there has to be and and, and and there has to be a good faith attempt to recognize that people like Artum de- deserve not just the gold medal winners. Right, but right, right. <laughs> that hall means thousands and thousands. of we had For a sure. million olim from the former Soviet Union, and a good chunk of them weren't halachically, yeah. according to Jewish law, Jewish. So we have to find a way. And again, we've talked about it before, it'll come up again. Yeah. You know, we interviewed the educational head of Nativ a, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Who this is what he does. He, you know, it's a program in the army and out of the army to address those Israelis who, you know, maybe you should think about wanting to convert, or what does it mean to be Jewish, and mm-hmm. and, and reaching out. And uh, we 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 have to th- going forward. This is a challenge that we have to approach. And, and as Jews, we have to do it in a way that's based on to use you know a Jewish word, menschlichkeit, and love yeah. and. And welcoming people who are really part of who we are
1: for sure yeah i think i just uh and just, to, and just to say one more thing about that i think that yeah. there's overall like an an anxiety that comes from the like, quote-unquote un, like old world that, yeah. that that we have still also just in our society in general but also specifically in our you know government and institutions and it's anxiety around like we're going to lose the Jews. We're going to lose okay. the Jews, and I think that something about the diaspora Judaism, which I'm not making a value statement about, but I think they've sort of surpassed that, mm-hmm. um, and, and at least in a lot of the communities, especially you know Reform communities and Conservative communities. They sort of like have figured out ways to, to. To embrace people and bring people into the fold um, in whatever way that looks like for those communities. Um, and sort of there's this anxiety in Israel that still exists and that's felt, and I think you can feel it in the army and you can feel it in, you know, with the revenue and all these things, and, um, and I think at the same time we have this generation of young Israelis who are growing up who say, you know, like, they identify first as Israeli and then as Jewish. Mm-hmm. And so it's like this sort of two... Worlds that are happening at the same time um, that are not in, they're not speaking to one
0: another. Well, there's also this jewish Israeli identity, mm. which, which, from the Jasper perspective, is like Jewish and Israeli are really separate. But for most Israelis, certainly for younger Israelis, they're kind of inseparable. Like it's, it's just your identity. So for somebody like Artum, who grew up in that environment, I don't know that he feels. Less Jewish, mm. uh, it, 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 Jews really is sort of this new, uh, new old. I mean, that yeah. I, I imagine that in the first and second temple days, sure. people didn't. Well, are you Judean, or <laughs> is that your religion, or is that like it's a silly yeah. thing? And part of what Zionism is is let's go back to that. Yeah. Let's go back to that. And and it's a great segue, actually, to our next topic. For sure, yeah. Even though it's from the last topic. But (laughs) it's ironic what you're saying about the diaspora, because to keep Jewish identity in the diaspora is always a process of uh, stopping deterioration, of preventing Mm -hmm. assimilation. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Israel, you don't really have, in a country that's 75% Jewish, in a Jewish state, we're not really worried about assimilation. We're mm-hmm. not worried about Jewish identity. We're worried about building a stronger identity. So the complications here, the stakes are different, and yet the approaches are are different. Yeah. So the last topic that we want to talk about, um, and you were, remind me her name. I, by the way, we're making believe that I can't remember the names <laughs> because I can't pronounce it. I'm old and I forget the names, <laughs> and Liel can remember them. Linoi,
1: Le- Linoi Ashlam.
0: Lee Noi Asher. Yeah. Right, so she was. So there was this whole mini controversy that she dropped her baton because she does this cool thing with like. Streamers kind yeah, of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so exactly. Russia
0: complained, and there was this whole anti-Semitic conspiracy theory about like Jews, whatever. I don't even think that.
1: <laughs> I mean, it definitely made the news for yeah. a couple of days there, but I don't think even the the Olympic judges, which they I think recounted the, the the points or whatever it was, and they were like, "No, she won." Yeah, and that and you know Russia needs to
0: just accept. Russia's that. this whole other story also <laughs> because right. Russia was kicked out of the Olympics officially because too much uh, doping, and then some mm, of the athletes from Russia don't represent the state of Russia, so they don't play the national anthem. I don't know. That's a whole, and another, you know, Jew conspiracy. I don't have the energy for it right now. But <laughs> to me, what was interesting, the interesting part of Linoi's story was, aside from the athletics, was that she performed on Shabbat, and Bibi Netanyahu, mm-hmm. the former prime minister, who's now the head of the opposition, mm-hmm called her on Shabbat to congratulate her for her gold medal and publicized that on the internet. He filmed it, and you know how politicians will do that, like they'll congratulate, whether it's an astronaut or an athlete or whatever it is, so that everyone knows that this,
1: this happened. Yeah, for sure. So
0: the the he is now the leader of the opposition. The ultra-Orthodox Haredi parties and the, quote-unquote, religious Zionist party condemned him mm-hmm. for calling her on Shabbat. Mm-hmm. That as a representative of the Israeli government, he shouldn't call her on An Shabbat, and, uh, and and here again, you have that when it comes to something like the Olympics and Israel itself, you you see the tensions in what Israel is in that exchange, right. and I don't think they handled it appropriately or politely. Mm-hmm. So my instinctive reaction was like, guys, like come on, right? But on the other hand. I do see their issue in other words let's say let 's say you're uh, israel 's ambassador to a foreign country and you don 't practice you 're personally not a a religious person, so you don 't eat kosher food and should you request you know at the embassy that the food be kosher because you 're representing the state like elal as a representative of the state mm-hmm. doesn 't function on Shabbat. Right. That's part of how Israel functions. So although I, I think they I, I think they, in other words what they voice as this harsh criticism I do think is an interesting conversational point. Mm-hmm. Should she have performed on Shabbat? Should he have con- called to congratulate her Shabbat? At least isn't there a reason to say that the state of Israel, things that represent the state, have to be careful about Jewish culture as well.
1: Yeah. It, yeah. Except I know a whole handful of people who would say, well, actually, Le'noy being at the Olympics um, and representing Israel is Jewish culture. Yeah. Today. You know what I mean? Like for them that that's what Jewish culture means, regardless of whether it's on not, whether it is or not on right. Shabbat. That is that fact that she did that is Jewish culture. The fact that Bibi called her and congratulated her, that's Jewish culture. That is the you know, what um the renaissance yeah, but, like we were right. saying of what Jewish life is today and, and Zionism also looks like in twenty twenty one. And there that's they, that, that's exactly Israeli.
0: right yeah 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 but it, but I, I in other words I'm not without discounting that side of the conversation mm-hmm. I do think it's important to have the other side of the conversation and look the Olympics themselves is a funny thing yeah. right the very idea of this okay these are the modern Olympics they don't go back to ancient Greece but For they sure. are intentionally calling it the Olympics because they're they're going back to this.
1: Connecting to something that Jews were, you know, ad- outwardly against and advocate, you know, didn't want to be a Look, part of.
0: In antiquity, in the ancient Olympics, mm-hmm. Jews had a problem, and and they they were depending on which which region of the Greek world. Because when we say the Greek world, it's like saying Europe. There's mm-hmm. so many different Greek. We sum it up, and we think of the Greeks as like this one thing. For sure. But it was a lot of different cultures, and in some of them. Jew you had to compete naked and mm-hmm. Jews didn't have foreskins and it was this whole complicated tension in antiquity. And here in modernity it's also complicated. Mm. Right? Where you 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 looked it up actually, right? That the Jew that that the Palestine mandate mm-hmm. was in the Olympics yeah. with Jews, Christians and Muslims representing the
1: representing um a Jewish national homeland or at least that's not something that was written in the rules right. of of their That's what the
0: Palestine Mandate editors.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was in the committee, I guess, rules and this right. was in 1933. So there was it's actually kind of like utopian in some so ways. Like the Jews the, the, the I guess the the British um, decided that, you know, they were going to send or going to attempt to send yeah. um, a group of Jews, Muslims and Christians, everyone who was living in, you know, Palestine under the British Mandate. So yeah. And you know, the the fact that it said represented Jewish national homeland in somewhere in there, you know, what they stood for is That's what
0: the Palestine mandate was. Pretty
1: wild. Yeah. Right. So
0: you'll see yeah. on social media somebody will say, like, Oh, you see, Palestine had a team in the Olympics in the thirties. <laughs> yes, 100%. But they were representing the future Jewish national home. Yes. So, yeah. That's
1: the first thing that came to my mind actually when yeah. I looked it up. I right. was like, Oh boy, people can take this and yeah.
0: And then Israel got into it in the fifties and never meddled till like the nineties.
1: Yeah. Uh yeah, ninety two. Ninety two was the first one.
0: And I look, I'll tell you, it, it is a funny thing, like devoting your life to developing physical skills. For sure. There is something, it's certainly not a rabbinic value, mm-hmm. right? But Jews certainly are part of the broader world. And so Jews excelling at these things, and, it is, and it's certainly part of the Israeli new Jew.
1: Yeah, it definitely that is. That we
0: also excel at everything the world excels in, including things like athletics.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So... I don't know. Like I, I, I am. Look, there, there was an incident in the. Uh, I also, I think it might have also been in the thirties, where Rav Cook, wa, Rav uh, Avram Yitzchak Hakohen Cook, who was the chief rabbi of the Ashkenazi Jews in the Palestine Mandate, yeah, the first chief rabbi, Ashkenazi chief rabbi. So in his neighborhood, there was a group of Betar kids who were sort mm. of the right wing activist. Uh, sort of the, the ideological forebears of the Israeli right. right. And they would play soccer on Shabbat, and their neighbors in Jerusalem complained to Rav Cook that he should tell them to stop it because mm-hmm. they're ruining their Shabbat atmosphere. Mm. So Rav Cook wrote a letter to Zev Jabotinsky, mm. who was the, for, he, he was the, he formed Betar. Right. And Rav Cook wrote him a letter saying, wow, it's so great that you're teaching Jewish kids to be proud of who they yeah. are and to be strong athletes and to get into physical fitness it's something we've ignored so long to our detriment and what you're doing is so positive but do you think also part of what you're trying to do by instilling in them Jewish pride maybe if they didn't play on Shabbat wouldn't that also teach them about loving their cultural history whether there's a tea or not and Jabotinsky I don't know exactly what happened actually Mm. but Jabotinsky wrote him back such an appreciative letter saying he would you know, wow, that is so thoughtful and helpful. And he would write to them, and so like I in reality, I don't know what happened. That's so interesting, right? But that conversation is such a beautiful conversation, mm-hmm. and and again, it's a conversation. I understand that the modern state that that it's that it is complicated.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and something that actually popped into my mind oh, about me. when we were talking just about like ancient Greek, it was like, what if the rabbis existed today in you know the modern state of Israel, and what would they, what would they be for Israelis competing in the Olympics? Would they be against Israelis competing in the Olympics? And I think the notion that Israeli athletes compete, do compete in the Olympics, and represent the state of Israel and carry our flag and sing the national anthem in front of the entire world, essentially, I think that is something that. That would be valued amongst the rabbis, just because in the context of Zionism, in the context of the you know 21st century and having a state of our own, I think it's it's a critical piece of of what we need to be putting out there to the world. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, there's the whole issue of what we were talking before of like the Shabbat issue, mm-hmm. um, which like the two things can come together. We can mm-hmm. also compete in the Olympics and you know be proud and be Jewish and and show that to the world. And then we can also value our um, you know. Ancient traditions and and observance and and religion and and perhaps make certain decisions, um, like the baseball player um, right. Sandy Koufax, right? right? That's a great example right. of someone who just decided he wasn't going to play in Kippur.
0: That's it, and you know, and and, and I think like, look, I, I, I always make an analogy. I say, well, wh- how would I feel if, let's say, I don't know, like, let's say, uh, I don't know, let's say, a Muslim woman wanted to com- to compete in the Olympics and she wanted to wear a hijab, mm. but there was some rule about head covering. You know, should the rules allow her to perform with her? Head covering, interesting. You know what I mean? Like I and and, and there's and there. I understand. And I'm, again, I'm not a sports guy, <laughs> but I understand why there's a need for uniformity and things like that. But I also understand that sometimes you do have to. I don't know. Like if there's, uh, I, I don't and now I'm just going off the top of my head. But if there was a Tibetan Hindu, yeah, who you know at the banquet asked to have a vegetarian meal, like I'm sure that would be accommodated. So there is something like. I, I remember Ilan Ramon, who wasn't a, a, a religious Jew, but when he was representing Israel as an astronaut, That's right. yeah, he like made sure he had kosher meals or something. He did he, something. He
1: brought like a, I think he brought a Tanakh up with him yeah. or Sidur, maybe. He brought yeah, something yeah. up with him, and it actually came back down. We have it in at the museum in yeah. Ramon.
0: Yeah, but he knew he was representing as 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 a representative of the Jewish state. He was representing Jewish culture and identity. Yeah. in deeper ways. So without without certainly without condemning her or the head of the opposition in specifics, but just in general, that tension mm-hmm. should at least be a conversation. And, you know, and uh, what's her name, Lenoy? Yeah. Like she can do, okay, if that's her choice and if that's the Israeli Olympic Committee's choice. Right. Okay. But I think it's worthwhile to say, you know, do we want to reconsider or how was that decision made or I don't know. Right. Like Begin was the first prime minister who, on state visits, asked for kosher, kosher food. food.
1: Right? Yeah. So
0: I think it's because he only ate kosher food as mm-hmm. an individual. Mm-hmm. But I think it would also be kind of cool if heads of st- if, if, if you know other states, when they had Israeli diplomats, mm-hmm. served them kosher food out mm-hmm. of respect to the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Whether that individual, there's something to that in saying, look, as a Jew, yeah. or at least you know, please don't serve pork. Right. At our state visit. That's inappropriate. Right. You know, at least kosher style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't know exactly where the line is, but... Because you
1: wouldn't serve wine to Muslims. Probably. Correct. For sure yeah.
0: not. Yeah. And you would not serve meat to the Dalai Lama.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. That's a good point.
0: And, and okay, so that's because the Dalai Lama is obviously a very observant fellow. But <laughs> but 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 even if the individual isn't, there is something to you know, okay, let's say the, the, the ambassador from Saudi Arabia happens not to be a Like an deeply, observant. Uh, yeah. 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 Okay, so still don't serve in pork. Mm-hmm. Right. So, Israelis also... And there have been state dinners where Israelis have been... Like...
1: Yeah. I I guess I just... There is something I want to push back on in that. Because I do agree with you, but I have this other thought that I think... Like, we have... Uh, Bennett, um who is the current prime minister, and he's the actually first the prime first minister prime minister
0: who wears a kippa, exactly and it, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: and you know, going over what you said before about the kosher food, and I was begging, so that kind of reminded mm-hmm. me of that. And so, a part of, and you mentioned before that Bibi called her on Shabbat to congratulate her and posted it online. And there's actually something about it, just to play devil's advocate, yeah, yeah. that I actually find really authentic all yeah. of a sudden yeah. because Bibi's not the prime minister anymore, right. and. He doesn't have to appease, um, the ultra religious, um, you know, parties that he sits right. with. And so a part of me is wondering and if then he was it called still. The next day. Exactly. Right. right exactly. Right. But yeah. And he's just, that's staying true to his values. So part of me wonders if Bibi was still prime minister, would he have actually waited a day before he did that yeah. or not? That's a great and question. something about the fact that he actually did it on Shabbat and posted it on Shabbat is like, you know what? I'm, I'm. I'm appreciative that. Yeah, yeah, I'm not representing the state, and like I'm appreciative. I appreciate him the fact that he like chose to be authentic in that moment. Right. Um, and I'd rather that than I don't know a prime minister who is playing, you know, I playing guess. to appease. I don't right. know, just a yeah, devil's yeah, yeah. advocate he's not
0: kissing their uh, yeah, guns. yeah. But, but that's also look. I, I mean, it's also how do you frame what the leader of the opposition is? Like, that's true. As a leader of the loyal opposition, you know. It, you're, you're right. It's murkier than the way I presented it, because the leader of the opposition is not the prime minister. He's not, right. Right. And I would also say, look, if he as an individual called, and he would get through because he's the former prime minister, that's his business. Like I, sure. that, I don't think anybody would say. He shouldn't do that. Nah, I yeah. Mean, yeah, that's, that's your individual. But, but he posted it as a representative mm. of the government. government. Right. So so you're right. It's not the prime minister, and he doesn't have a coalition that includes Haredi parties, It has to worry about offending. Right. Although they used to yell at him when he did things anyway, <laughs> right. when he was prime minister. <laughs> yeah. So this is part of, I think, part of how, and I don't want to be cynical, like part of how he expresses his authentic identity and yeah. brand yeah. is he always kind of did this to them. Mm. And part of how they express their brand mm-hmm. is they scream about it so right. that their voters know. So, you know, there is always that veneer of of theater in politics. Sure. And you know it's easy to be cynical, but I don't know. I, I, I again, I, I guess right. we're more asking questions than answers. Right. But I, but I, my intuitive reaction was like, "Oh, guys, come on! Like, don't, like, don't make you just you're you're going to look you're going to look to most Israelis like so. I don't know what's the word like nitpicky. Like you you're just this is what you're screaming in Israeli mm. media about like. Most Israelis don't care.
1: Most Israelis don't care. Most Israelis would have done the same thing. And that's right. the point. And that's the thing that I think needs to be acknowledged. And I think in some way, like, Bibi B does, Bibi understands this. The, the nation really well Like he knows exactly mm-hmm, Who mm-hmm. the people Who live here are And what they want And what they don't want And um, and so I think like In doing that In some way he, he, He's saying like Look I'm not Bennett I'm not going to wait a day To congratulate our Olympian athlete I'm going to call on Shabbat Because that's That's where my values stand He's so also a speak. very
0: educated guy He's a son of a historian He yeah. unders- and he and you know He's the guy who brags You know Look at this seal I have With the name Binyamin on it From 3,000 sure. years ago sure. But he understands the, the national history Of our people mm-hmm. And so I guess I guess what turns in to a shouting match as so often does in politics is so unproductive yeah and there is a productive conversation to be had for sure there.
1: for sure oh 100 yeah. percent. i think it's yeah it's critical and it goes into the larger question of sort of what who are we internally and then who are who do we want to be externally to the world right and
0: that's sort of and what are we becoming and what how will how should that look and it's look The bottom line is this is so interesting because we're at this crazy moment in history where the Olympics are back (laughs) because the Western world had a Renaissance Mm -hmm. and the Greek culture reasserted itself over the Christian culture. And so now modern Western culture is this mix and the whole world is now competing in this Christian Greek mix that we call (laughs) the Western world. And because the Jews are having our Renaissance and have built a state, we are now participating in these events it's it's you everything about this moment in history just knocks you
1: for sure but the, just the one thing i want to mention yeah. i want to specify is that we're, we're not we're participating not as not as hidden jews not no. as hidden israelis we're just no. being loud and proud yeah. and that's i think the distinct like that's important to make that distinction distinguish, to distinguish between that is just like that you know on the world stage what who what are we showing the world and mm-hmm. and that's that's the difference, in my opinion. Of look, you know,
0: we always talk about how complicated things are in this podcast. We're always talking about <laughs> how, like, anyone who tells you it's simple, they're not telling the truth, and that's true. Complicated, it is. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm sick of the word. <laughs> but the truth is, when an when when an Israeli athlete when they play Hatikfa and an Israeli wins a gold exactly. medal, exactly, your heart beats exactly. faster. Like right. you're just proud. So, it, it, although it is complicated, and this episode was about the complications sure. of the Olympics. It's okay sometimes to just feel that mm-hmm. patriotic pride yeah, of hearing Hatikva playing on an international stage. It's exactly. Cool. We've waited long enough for it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we're out of time, so we'll wrap up. Thank you so much, Liela. Yeah. And you know what? It is different than doing it on Zoom. I've got so used to Zoom <laughs> that I did forget that there's something to face-to-face. So I'm glad it worked out, and Let's we'll see. see. We'll see. And we're going to have to play it by ear as we go ahead. We'll see. We'll Iona. have some good stuff coming up. Yeah, that's for sure. But whether it'll be Zoom or or a mix, or I, I don't know, we'll have to play it by ear. But as we're we're, we're making different institutional changes, and mm-hmm. so so the podcast itself is in a time of let's call it uh, creative development because <laughs> yeah. we don't know what we're doing as usual. But uh, always stay tuned and recommend us and share us, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Thank you so much. This is the end of the episode, not on Zoom, so I'll just say bye-bye. Bye.